Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbereth. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who. Watch along podcast. It's series three, episode five. Congratulations on joining us. You're amazing. Um, hello, Harry. How the flipping heck are you? I'm good, Tim. Why are you talking like this this week? I don't know. One thing I do want to mention is that this week is Mental Health Awareness Week. And um, I think... There is two really good documentary. I should have said this for recommendations, but I mentioned it at the time. There's two really good documentaries on BBC iPlayer that I think people should check out. There is, I, I struggle to remember the names of them, so I apologize. But there is one that came out a couple of years ago with Jesse Nelson from Little Mix, which is a lot about online trolling and bullying. That's really good. And one more recently with Roman Kemp from I'm a Celeb, Get Me Out of Here, and Capital the British radio station um, talking about male suicide. Um, so go and check those out. Cause they also give really good tips to check up on your friends uh, as somebody who's lost a couple of friends to suicide as well. It's so important to go and just check in on your mates and make sure everybody's doing okay. So go and watch those if you do have time because they're super, super great. But Dr. Who, um, we have so much coming up on the YouTube channel and the podcast feeds this week. Don't we Harold? Absolutely. Okay. Well, I don't actually know. You're the one who always finds the news. <laughs> so, this week we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Doctor Who TV movie. Coming up on the channel, we have our review of the Doctor Who TV movie. It's the first time we've ever spoken about it properly um, on the podcast, anyway. And we also have a very, very exciting interview with Matthew Jacobs. Now, you might not recognise the name, but you will recognise his work. He is the writer of the Doctor Who TV movie. He's also the writer of lots of other exciting things, like the Disney movie Emperor's New Groove. Um, so we got to speak to him about what it was like trying to bring back Doctor Who and the cancellation of it and the casting of Paul McGann and Big Finish and if he's going to return, The Timeless Child. We spoke about it a lot and it's really, really interesting. Also coming up this week, this week, uh, this episode even, we are talking about Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. So who better to talk to? Then Miranda Raisin, who played Tallulah, two L's and a H in all two episodes. Now, they might not be your favourite episodes, but uh, Miranda was so lovely. I know, Harry, you weren't there for the interview, but I think, have you had a chance to listen to it? Have I sent you it since? You've not sent it to me, and I'm kicking myself that I couldn't make the time to do that, because from what you've told, Miranda was an incredible person to speak with yeah she was so lovely and she had so much positive things to say about dot two and also you will know her as conscious clark as well from big finish and she spoke a lot about working with colin baker how great david tennant was the fandom itself and i really think she enjoyed being on the podcast by some stuff that we said we spoke about afterwards that i don't want to talk too much about i don't want to tease people with too much but that was really good stuff anything else that's coming up on the on the youtube channel you got that oh also also, there's so much coming up, I keep forgetting. It is the release of the Ninth Doctor audio adventures. They come out this week as well. So we're going to try our hardest to get our review of those up either on Thursday or Friday if we can um, for at least the first episode, at least the first episode. And also coming up is a short clip from another upcoming interview with, um, I feel so bad because the name has just escaped me, Um but a gentleman who is the videographer for Big Finish, who has worked with Chris and interviewed Chris, and we spoke about what it was like trying to keep secrets from Twitter. And so um, I will double-check that name. I'm going to pause it now so I feel so... How could I forget Joe Lee Coop's name? I do apologise. Um, yeah, so that's all coming up as well. But for now, Harry, before you've got all that to watch and listen to, would you like this week's Doctor Who News Roundup? Absolutely, though, from the sounds of it, we might have more news this week than Doctor Who itself. But yeah, I don't know, you tell me. I think we do. Um, 
It seems like a lot of people, for some reason at the moment, are asking Billy Piper if she would like to return to Doctor Who. She always says no. Um, but she's recently spoken about her reasons for leaving the show um, on Desert Island Discs to Laura Laverne on BBC Radio 4. Have you ever listened to Desert Island Discs? I've caught bits and pieces. It's a really kind of chill programme. Uh, yeah. I wish there were more shows like that with celebrity guests where they can just have like a relaxed, candid personal conversation it's just really nice yeah i know russell t davis has been on it rowan atkinson david tennant and there's some really great people and i think even matt smith's been on it as well so people should check those out but um um yeah she spoke to her about how she didn't know that how successful that reboot was going to be um she said it made me really famous again in that sort of mainstream fame way that i find really uncomfortable when asked if that was why she left the show in 2006, Piper said, I think that played into it, but I also just um, was just at the beginning of my young acting career. As much as I love the show, I love Rose Tyler, Russell T. Davis, and all the people that I continue to have relationships with. I wanted to do some, I wanted to do different stuff. I don't like the responsibility of being that sort of role model. Um, but she did say, earlier in the interview, Piper said, landing the role of the Knife Doctor's companion, Rose Tyler, was great in many ways. I was doing what I felt I was born to do on some level. It was very exciting and satisfying time because I want. it was hard to get acting jobs with my history at, at, um, as first a pop star and then sort of this burnt-out child star and so on. Um, and also the fact that she was certainly going through the... <laughs> she also, I think she slags off Chris Evans at one point. But... Um, yeah, I, I suppose that's not something a lot of people think about, is it? That sort of sudden burst of fame that you must get from being a series regular on a show like Doctor Who and how that, you know, can really sort of affect how you sort of fall in love or dislove the show, I guess. I was like, did you have any idea who Tosin Cole or Mandip Gill were before nah. they were cast on Doctor Who? No. Like, I, I mean, Jodie Whittaker, like, obviously I'd watched Broadchurch, but I couldn't have said her name from my head, and now she's, you know, a household name. Yeah. So I think I think, I think, think when you're the star, when you're Smith, Capaldi, Whittaker, it's easier because you know what you're getting into. But when you're just a companion, I imagine... Sorry, that sounds so insulting when you're just a companion. But when you're the companion, you're in that sort of middle ground of... You're not the star, and you're not not important... You're in the middle where you know at some point you're going to get replaced and someone else will come along and sort of fill your shoes pretty well and then so on and so on. But I also imagine it's that thing of those two or three years of being that character uh, are quite intense. Oh, yeah, it must be a whirlwind. Yeah. It's kind of weird because it's so kind of all-encompassing. For so many actors, it kind of... Well, I mean, not just so nowadays, obviously Billy Piper... Um, Jenna Coleman have kind of gone on to do things since, but kind of, especially in classic, you kind of play a companion that becomes kind of the thing you're known for. Like, even with Billy Piper, like she talks about how that was kind of her coming out of the pop star career. I think most people today wouldn't even realize yeah. that Billy Piper ever was a pop star. I yeah. didn't realize until I heard because we want to. I was like. Shit, is that Rose Tyler singing yeah. and dancing? Yeah. She does people, that? <laughs> people should listen to her interview with David on the David on David Tennant's podcast, David Tennant with or whatever it's called, um, where she talks a lot about that sort of when she was sort of like 13 and living on her own and all that sort of stuff, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, so I suppose that's not, not something I've really ever thought about, really. I think Matt Smith mentioned it, didn't he, a few weeks ago. He sort of said you can do sort of three years as the main lead and then after that it really sort of becomes taxing. Mm. Yeah. Um, in other news, Harry, um, they've been, you know, for the last five years or so, they've been recreating these lost episodes of Doctor Who in animation form. And there is a new one on the way. Galaxy 4 was the four-part story that opened the BBC Sci-Fi Show's third series in 1965. Only one episode of the quarter still exists, having been found in a private collection in 2011, but are all being remade in colour by a team of animators. The full script survived thanks to a fan audio, thanks to a fan recording, original audio of the time of broadcast. Hartnell um, is the first Doctor story, um, all coming back in animation form. Um, 
I've got two questions. It's, it's... Harry, what do you think of that? I think this is the first first Doctor Animation story we're getting. That was my question, yeah. And because I know that we had obviously Sharda, which was partly remade and re-recorded, and then there's all this Troughton stories, yeah. which I know were just kind of reanimated. Yeah, it's cool that they're branching into the uh, first Doctor stories, and I hope we see more. I mean, if they keep going at the rate they're going, it won't be long until we have every single classic who story in a watchable format in some shape or form, which I yeah. think just for completionist sake will be pretty cool to have. I've not watched or seen any clips of uh, this new one. I don't know if any of them have been released. But yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, kind of, I know that kind of some people have mixed feelings about the animation quality, although from what I can tell, the animation quality of these kind of reanimated recreations are progressively getting better and better. So yeah. hopefully this one will look pretty great, especially if it's in colour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Would you rather it being in colour or black and white? Um, that's if we still have, do we have the original footage of one of the episodes? Did you say one? Well, I imagine, I don't imagine they're going to be recolorizing that. So I know, would it be a bit of a shift to go from a classic sixties live action TV show to suddenly a color animated story? Maybe when when you buy the Blu-ray or whatever, it comes advertised as the animation featuring one originally broadcast episode. Okay, okay. And also I know that I believe that with some of the Trouton stories, they give the option whether or not you want to watch it in colour or in black and white. So if you also, prefer you can that, just put your telly you in black and white option. anyway. You just turn the contrast down, you'll be fine. Yeah, so it's no it's it's not something hard to work around at all. No, not really. Um, I was thinking what would be good is if they, I feel Doctor Who at the moment, I've seen a lot of people talk about this, and I think even Russell recently spoke about it, is that Doctor Who is lacking in expanded universe stuff. There is no more real spin-offs or anything like that. Um, I think a cartoon series would be great. And you could maybe do like little adventures with the 13th Doctor and you know, little, like, 15-minute things with Yaz, just them in the TARDIS chilling or whatever. Or you could do spin-off characters, have their own animated episodes or something like that. What do you think about the possibility of that? I think if you were going to make a Doctor Who animated series, you just don't want to be stepping on the toes of the live-action show. You don't want it to be some kind of replacement. Yeah. So I feel like... If you want to make an anime series, just make sure that whatever it is, it isn't just stories about the Doctor and their companions that are animated. Do something to make it something distinctly different so you can justify both of them existing. Because you can imagine, you can imagine some kind of scenario where they make, say, for CBBC, a Doctor Who animated series that does really well, and some exec thinks, hang on, (laughs) this is doing really well. It's pulling in views... And it's cheaper than the live show. Let's just ditch the live action show and just make Doctor Who an animated series, which I think is something nobody wants. Well, they they almost did it. There was a cancelled animated series, which we should maybe we will do a video on one day once we're running low on content. But <laughs> until that day, leave a thumbs up or whatever. Let us know if you want us to do that. But yeah, well, we recently talked about Daleks. We watched every episode of Daleks when that came out, and that got progressively a lot better. We got really into that yeah. by the end of that. Daleks is cool. Like, I'd be up for another series of Daleks, honestly, because yeah. by the end, it was like, cool. And dude, I, we still don't know. We never found out what the, uh, what was it called, the Entity? I think it was just a thing, wasn't it? They never really sort of specified what it was. There. Yeah, I remember thinking at the start, oh, it's going to be some kind of Doctor cameo, but we just never really found out. So there's plenty of room to do another series of Daleks. I'm all for it. Yeah, that was really good. I I don't know how much much demand there is for another series of Daleks. Uh, I honestly couldn't say, but I'd be up for it. I'll put a thing out on Twitter. We'll we'll ask everybody. Um, There's a lot of Christopher Eccleston news this week, Harry, as I'm sure you will expect because there he has his... Knife Doctor returns, but before we talk about his return to Doctor, Christopher Eccleston is going to be the lead actor um, in a new BBC Oliver Twist inspired series all about the artful Dodger, um, and he's going to be playing Fagin. 
that's cool. I mean, yeah, Fagin is a Londoner, right? If I remember he, correctly, from he is, I believe, yeah. So I wonder, are they going to go for like a Northern Fagin, or are they going to? Is Eccleston going to put on an accent, which I'm sure he has the capacity to do? Either he's kind of looking at him. I can see it working. It's very curious. Is it for a younger audience? Or um, I don't know, I'm just reading it here on the mirror. So I, I'll try and read it out loud to you, as always is a laugh. Doctor Two star Christopher Eccleston has been cast as the iconic role of Fagan in the BBC's new drama, Dodger. Uh, with a new take on a Charles Dickens' favourite character, the star will be the... Si- the oh, here we go. The star will be in the series, which is a funny, optimistic, fast-paced comedy drama that is set before the events of Oliver Twist. It has been written and created by uh, Emmy Award winner Reese Thomas um, and is one of the many dramas being released in 2021. According to the, according to the synopsis, Dodger follows the exploits of the, of the infamous pickpocket, the artful Dodger, and Fagan's gang as they find in, ingenious ways to survive the grim and um, horrible world of Victorian London in the 1830s. Sounds like fun. It does sound like something that kind of skews towards the kind of Doctor Who audience of kind of families. Yeah, it does. I think that would be really good. I think that, because this is Eccleston, he's a very proud Northerner, that we will uh, get a Northern Fagan. I don't. I, can't, I feel like he would be kind of keen to keep his accent. I'm not saying that he doesn't. He totally has the ability to change it. But um, I think I would be quite interested to maybe, that would be quite a cool character choice to have him move down south. Down south. Down south. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what southerners sound like. I'm in the Midlands. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I have I have southern friends. I promise. I recently spent the day, the last couple of days, with some friends that I haven't seen in a while. I have some mutual friends of ours. And um, I've been hanging around with a lot of southern people. Not by choice. But I was forced with them through university <laughs> disgusting uh, <laughs> but they all you think southerners up... talk about northerners the way that we talk about southerners i think northerners i think southerners look at us like we're like some sort of like weird subculture of humanity <laughs> i don't like, know why we were talking like i know southern people they're normal people why are we acting so weird <laughs> but they are they were all saying how i'd picked up a somewhat southern accent on certain pronunciations of my word which insulted me nonetheless Anyway, it's Carol Lewis from Doctor Who News. Is that a funny thing? Is that a funny thing? But I want to. Oh, sorry. When, whenever I was in the North, whenever I was in Hull or York, I don't sound full of North. I don't sound very Northern. No. And people were like, "Oh, well, you, you don't sound Northern." I'm like, well, "Where am I from?" And they're like, "I don't know." But then you know, I move. I'm not even down south now. I'm in Birmingham. You know, the Midlands, and everyone picks out how Northern I sound. Like, I'm the most northern person in the Midlands that I know of. <laughs> well, if you are in the Midlands and you think you are more northern than Harry, do get in touch with the ship. No, no, I'm the, mo- I'm the northerner. I'm the northerner of the Midlands. That's what I'm they the all call me. The only northerner in the village. <laughs> <laughs> um, more Christopher Eccleston news. He's spoken about the culture of Doctor Who and he said... Um, it's still a bit of a boys' club. Doc, um, Christopher Eccleston has said that Doctor Who is still a boys' club, calling the long-running sci-fi series to include more female writers, characters, and villains. The actor played the ninth Doctor during the first series of the program's revival, which aired back in 2005, and has recently reprised the role for an audio series. Speaks to Doctor Who magazine, um, per Digital Spy, the actor said Russell T. Davis writes the Doctor as one Doctor. Writes the Doctor as one Doctor. Stephen Moffat writes him as another. Robert Sherman writes him. He's another. Bit of a boys' club, though. We need to address that. We need some cyber women. We need female writers. We need to address... Uh, it, it needs to be addressed, particularly as the Doctor has such a pronounced... Uh, hang on. Sit at, oh, particularly as the Doctor has such a pronounced... That doesn't make any sense, Chris, does it? Pronounced, yeah. Ah. For what a better for what a better phrase, feminine side. Oh, sorry, I cut him off halfway. As the doctor such as pronounced for a what of a better phrase, feminine side, and such an enthusiastic engagement um, with the female. I, I, I've messed up that quote, but you sort of know what I'm trying to say. Um, 
100% could agree more. It's no coincidence. It hasn't been not noted Although, by anybody that all... It's very, it's very clear that Christopher Eccleston has not seen Torchwood Series 1, Episode 5, Cyber <laughs> Lady. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's no... Yeah, it hasn't been not noted by anybody that all current Doctor Who showrunners are being white middle-aged dudes. So why, why yeah. Not? It's true, kind of, we've been paying all attention about the star who's in front of the screen, but yeah, behind the scenes, why haven't we had a female showrunner? I know that, I believe that, um, I know that uh, in series 12, the uh, the episode uh, with Mary Shelley, I believe that was written by a woman, I think. Yeah. At least. And I know there's surely definitely more than that. I think Rosa was written by a woman as well. So it seems that, like, Chibnall is starting to bring in more kind of female voices into the writer's room, which I think is great. Also, yeah. there's like stuff like that episode, I can't remember what it was called, the Mary Shelley one, but that's one of like my favourite Doctor Who episodes, stories. Like, yeah, and ever. I think during Capaldi's era as well, there was a lot of female directors. I, f- I forget her first name. I believe it begins with a T. I believe her first name is Rachel. I follow her on Instagram. She directed Capaldi's last... Pardon me. She directed Capaldi's last episode and had done subsequent... Yeah, episodes. absolutely, yeah. And since then, there's that direct mm. episodes of Lois and Clark and, uh, sorry, Superman and Lois over for the CW and a lot of those big superhero shows as well. So that was a really good catch for the show. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think every episode that we've we've talked about so far in the revival has been, apart from this one, I think Dice Manhattan might be a female writer. I'm not. I believe she... so. Yeah, I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. So there you go. That all pans out quite well. But yeah. Christopher Eccleston hasn't seen Torchwood. I mean, I hadn't seen Torchwood until we started watching Torchwood. <laughs> and I think even now, as you're recording this, I think I'm at most halfway through Torchwood Series 1. <laughs> I did watch it and I've forgotten everything. Are we stopped. still going to... Are we still planning to do a Torchwood video? or We'll do a big drop. We'll just talk about Torchwood Series 1 in general when it sort of leads up. We're not going to do the Sarah Jane ones anymore, guys, I'm afraid. It was getting to a point where I was having to watch and talk about Dot Two every single day. Sometimes more than once a day with certain people, so it was getting slightly too much. Maybe taken away from my job and uni work, so we did have to drop the Sarah Jane Adventures. Unfortunately, I'm sure you guys don't mind. Um, anything you want to say about that, or do you want to move on to the final bit of news I've got here? I mean, just yeah, like you said, I agree with Chris. Um, while it's good that we're starting to see more women in kind of like the creative aspect there's always room for more that's true um doctor jody whittaker says it's too upsetting to think about being replaced doctor star jody whittaker doesn't want to think about leaving the show because she finds it upsetting the actress has revealed this is from the express um this is a quote from jody to even question an end point would be too upsetting uh she added I had this idea that fame from Doctor Who would be like that Notting Hill image of Reese Iffens, and it isn't. If you bump into a Whovian, it generally makes both of your days. Um, there's something emotionally poetic and very humbling about being in the show because you're a tiny little jigsaw piece of something that is so precious to so many people. So that's a lovely little, lovely little quote there. Yeah. And also, you can't it's help lovely. but notice that she's spoken about not wanting to leave yeah like i said firstly i think it's really lovely to hear that jody has been having such a positive experience in the role as the doctor i think it's really you know people having a good time and in you know that's always nice to hear and yeah. like you said yeah if that's i feel like we're getting very very close to definitive deconfirmation that Jodie will not be regenerating anytime soon, at least in this next series. Well, she does just say it is upsetting to think about leaving. That doesn't necessarily mean to say that she hasn't done it. She just doesn't like to think about it. Ah, uh, <laughs> there's always a loophole, isn't there? <laughs> Which uh, then I, raise more questions the, of, did she leave or was she told to leave? <laughs> The more I hear, the more I'm doubtful that Jody is leaving this series at all. Same. Honestly, the, I'm, I, well, I'm not going to put money on it, but I would put money on her staying for not just series 13, but a series 14 and then regenerating. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think she's going to be here till the 60th. I'm calling that. Oh. Oh, I don't know. No. I'll say it now. I think Jodie Whittaker, at the time of the 60th, will be the current Doctor. She may be leaving in the 60th, but when that episode starts, she will still be the new Doctor. But that okay. doesn't necessarily mean that Doctor Who will be on every year until then. They may do see a year off, a year off, a year on, a year off, a year of specials like they did with Tennant. But when that 60th rolls around in two years' time, because that's all it is, two years, I'm going to say Jodie is still still the Doctor. Okay, this is time for our obligatory 60th anniversary special uh, speculation. What if the 60th is Jodie's regeneration episode? Why not? That'll be a... Why not? More exciting than a doing I a mean, if you can't... One. If you can't match like the massive crossoverness of something like the fiftieth, the next best thing is having the Doctor regenerate. Yeah, Why <laughs> you not? can't get much bigger within the frame of Doctor Who than bringing in a new Doctor. Yeah, and I think I think to the general public um, who don't watch the show, it's still relatively new that Jodie is the Doctor. I feel if it was to be announced that she would be leaving, people would be like, I swear she literally only just started doing it. I mean, it was 2017. She's been kind of a mainstay for a while now. It's been three, four, or coming up to four years that she's been the Doctor. Yeah. I think she's going to be here for six. You think so? And now I've said six, that sounds too many. But I'm saying it. That's about, I that's mean, that's that's, that's two years less. That's two years less. That'd be like the second long... Because Tom Baker is a Doctor for eight years, right? I think so, yeah. That would be in terms of not episodes, but just time in the role that would make it a second longest serving doctor wouldn't it yeah i think she should do it why shouldn't she she's the first female to do it you gotta make your footprint as big as it can be and maybe just being that a first female actress was a huge footprint but why not make it even bigger mm, yeah really kind of solidify and normalize the idea of the 13th doctor yeah because you think about it when people look back at that we look back at tom baker as this icon of the show because he was so recognisable with the role, and that came because he was that role for so long. So why not match that with the first female Doctor? Because then people are going to look at it, and that that line will be blurred as to if the role is male or female. Mm, absolutely. And if they continue to kind of develop and show more of the 13th Doctor, then, you know, I build for that. I feel like there's a lot of the 13th Doctor that we've not seen yet. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be up to sticking it out for the wrong run. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's me all done with news. Anything you want to talk about, little boy? Uh, I'm 21. <laughs> there you go. There's a piece of information you might not know about, Harry. I think at the start of Series 4, we should reintroduce ourselves to our listeners. But until then, we're, we're an enigma. Enigma? Enigma. Are we mysterious? <laughs> I don't feel very mysterious. You want to introduce the uh, uh, the watch along segment, Harry? Yeah. So, um, hey Tim, you went to New York one time, right? I did. I went with my friend Josh. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What What do you call the main bit of uh, New York? Um, Manhattan. 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 Cool. Do you ever Do you ever see anything like strange in Manhattan? I've heard like New York's quite a you may describe it as like a melting pot. You get all kinds of stuff going on there, right? I saw a guy on in the in the um, Grand Central Station office heads on drugs playing imaginary basketball with himself. I was sworn at on the ferry around Staten Island because I was told there was nothing to see on the Hudson River. That might be a joke that I've spoiled coming up in the actual episode. I believe I say it later. So everybody laughed twice when I say it again later. And I also saw my friend nearly get arrested. So yeah, there's some weird stuff in New York. Well, with the amount of crazy stuff in New York, you wouldn't be surprised to see something like, I don't know, like Daleks in Manhattan. That would... And on, on the topic of Daleks, it's, um, you know, I think it's been really cool that kind of over the years of the show, Doctor Who, we've really kind of seen the Daleks grow and change with design, the way they're treated and written. It's really, really cool to see that kind of almost like evolution of the Daleks. Yeah. Hold the phone. <laughs> Speaking of Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. <laughs> Hold the phone. Enjoy it, guys. It doesn't get any better than this. 
This is the Emperor of the Daleks. I am ordering you to subscribe to the Pure and Blessed Bigger on the Inside podcast. Failing the order will result in total extermination. Having you all. Oh, it's us. It's Tim and Harry. We're here. We're doing the watch along bit. How how are you? How do you do, Harry? How do I do? I do pr- pretty pretty good. I do pretty good. Good. Um, for those who don't know, which is everybody. How, how do... um, I'm good, thank you. But this is recorded on the sixth of April, so we just had Easter. Did you have a nice Easter? I did. I got a chocolate egg. I got a couple of chocolate eggs, and I think it's fair to say that most of them have already gone. But enough talk about Easter, Harry. Uh, Jeez, give it a rest, man. Let's talk about Doctor Who, because we're going to be doing two episodes today, and what are they called? Harold. They are Daleks and Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks, both by Helen Rayner. Yeah, I did write the uh, Helen Rayner's name down, so I thought, oh, I wonder if he's going to remember who wrote them. Uh, yeah, the first appearance of the Daleks in Series 3, the last time we saw them, was in at Doomsday with Rose's penultimate death. Um, what do you think about mid-season Dalek appearances? Going back to really what they did in Series 1. I found this actually very refreshing. This story, at least within the context of New Who, we can only classic Who because I've not seen enough of it. Um, within New Who, this is a very different take on the Daleks compared to what we've seen so far. Um, first of all, it's a historical story, which I have a question about, but I'll get to that later. And like you said, it's a mid-season story. Um, and it kind of, I think because it doesn't have that um, weight of being kind of the finale of a series, it has the opportunity to allow it Self to kind of explore ideas about the Daleks in a way that perhaps it wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Uh, kind of similar to how Dalek in Series 1 was able to. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I recently... I should mention straight up from the top. I was, this was meant to be the first note I mentioned. Um, one of the key aspects that I love about this episode is the brilliant Miranda Raisin, who plays Tallulah, um, I recently was really, really lucky enough to speak to her about her involvement in these two episodes. And she had, from what I can, well, listen to the interview. It comes out in two days' time, if you listen to this on the day it comes out. Um, 13th of March, I want to say. Is that right? January, February, March. 13th of May, sorry. March has already been. <laughs> yep. May, 13th of May. Gone. <laughs> um, so definitely listen to that. She talks very highly about the team. She tells a really good, fun story about being on set with just her and one Dalek and um, what it was like working with David and a relatively young Andrew Garfield. So, Harry, how weird was it for you seeing Peter Parker um, hanging around in Hooverville with the 10th Doctor? I mean, it's funny that you kind of mentioned the supporting cast because that is kind of the one thing that struck me about this episode that I hadn't thought about previously was kind of how of it does have a pretty strong supporting cast. You know, like you've mentioned or mentioned, Tallulah is so much fun, mm. Laszlo, Solomon, and Frank by Andrew Garfield. They're a strong supporting cast and they all kind of leave an impression. Um, on the subject of seeing a younger Andrew Garfield than we're used to, it's, I mean, yeah, because it's like, he's, he's, a, he's this young kid yeah. and he's in New York, although he's, the character of Frank is from Tennessee, isn't he? Well, I saw an interview with Andrew I where think. he said that he, the accent is just a generic um, accent that he did. I don't think when he did it, he had any inkling of a, of a location. He might have had like a, 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 an area in like a north or south or whatever, but I don't think it was a state or a capital in mind or whatever. Yeah, um, I quite like his involvement. So he's basically in many ways he's doing. Oh, sorry, go on. 
No, I was just saying it's kind of bizarre how in so many aspects this does kind of foreshadow uh, one of the roles that he's kind of, many people will know him for playing. Yeah, um, the guy in the social network. Um, let's go back to the start of the episode. Great film, great film. Um, to be fair, I'm going to be honest, I, I re-watched this episode for my interview with Miranda, which I think I recorded over a month ago now for sure. Um, so I sort of half-assed rewatched it again for this. Uh, but I can tell you that when I did rewatch it, I was looking online and not a lot of people, this isn't a lot of people's favourite episode, but I really enjoyed it when I first watched it, as in when I first rewatched it a couple of months back. Really good fun. It's a refreshing, different look on a Dalek rather than just we're going to take over the world. I think it's more classic here in the sense that it's kind of, it's not silly, but it's more of a, a sort of a fun way of approaching the Daleks. They're, they're, they're building the Empire State building. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can sort of understand why there are some people who aren't as keen on this, because, yeah, especially for kind of the main villain of Doctor Who, the Daleks, it is quite an unconventional take on them as far as uh, New Who is concerned. But I'd argue the main villain should be explored in unconventional ways. And, yeah, I guess there is some things. I feel like the thing that always struck me as the goofiest was when the Daleks refer to their kind of slaves as pig slaves. Something about the Dalek voice saying pig slaves admittedly feels a little goofy. But other than that, I think that everything it explores is, yeah, very interesting. You know, we'll get to the human Dalek stuff later. But Yeah, um, Yeah, there's a couple of things in this episode that... Yeah, there's a couple of things in the episode where I sort of think, oh, that's maybe slightly too unawarely tongue-in-cheek, like calling them pig slaves, having the Dalek plates at the top of the Empire State Building. When the lift opens, a Dalek eye matches the eye on the elevator. The thing of calling it dalek There's a lot of stuff in there. I sort of think, oh, I think you could have come up with something a bit better. That's just, funny enough, all the stuff to do with that did not cross my mind at all. I don't know, I guess maybe because I grew up with it as a kid, I'm very accepting of that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I've never, I had a big issue with that in this episode. I'm just seeing what other Doctor Who episodes Helen Rayner has worked on. Oh, she did Daleks in Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks, the Sontaran Stratagen, and um, the poison sky, and then did ghost uh, ghost machine, and the last and two the last man for uh, torture, and she's been script editor in a lot of episodes as well. Um, who that the film? Makes Let's, sense. Sorry, she go did on. the and that makes sense because that she did because talking about how there's some slightly silly elements. I remember that when it got to the Sontaran one, she really leaned into though that kind of silliness. But I feel like. When we, I mean, we're not until next series, but from what I remember, the Suntaran two-parter kind of really just embraced that slightly silly side a bit more. Yeah. So it's interesting. You can kind of see that originating here a little bit. Mm. One thing I do want to talk about is the music in this episode. I'm not just talking about Murray Gold's score. I mean, the actual songs that they play in the episode, they're quite... It's different for Doctor Who to do that rather than just rely on Murray Gold's score. You get songs of the era... Not playing as um, you know, just in the scene um, background music, but actually as the score of the episode, um, I think it's really good. And I'd like them to see it, like them to do more of it. And I know they've done bits of it with Whitaker's era, but when they've done it with Whitaker's era, it's been modern songs to sort of reflect the feelings of the character. But I like it when they go to a historical place and the music that plays within the episode, not as part of the story, but in the episode through the editing, is music of that era. Especially because in this episode, we actually had a full-on musical number mm. in the middle of the episode. Yeah. Mm. What do you think to that? It's very um, uh, Johnny B. Good. Like, the whole story stops, and we have a, a song and dance number. Hey, Johnny B. Good is one of the best scenes of Back to the Future. Like, that's a compliment. Yeah. Um, I know when I spoke to Miranda, we spoke about that, and then she does tell some interesting stories of when the album version of the series, of the album version of the music came out. So definitely go and listen to that when it is out in a couple of days. The Doctor, he's wearing his blue suit. The blue suit's back. 
what did we have last week? We had the brown suit last week, the brown suit before yeah, that. So this is only the second outing of the blue suit. And even when I see it, I still like it. Even though I'm so used to it, I still go, oh, it's the blue suit this time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, doesn't uh, Tallulah at one point make a comment about the suit? Yeah, she does, doesn't she? It's when she's talking to Martha and she says something about some about the way he looks. I wanted to talk about that scene because that seems like a reoccurring thing in this series is where characters think that the Doctor and Martha are an item and the Doctor the Doctor's never usually there when those conversations are happening and Martha usually then has to explain that. She just fancies the Doctor but he just does not notice. I slightly feel that to an extent those scenes feel slightly forced compared to the scenes that were similar to that with the 10th and 9th with Rose. Well, I guess it's a tough comparison for me because obviously when it's Rose and a Doctor, that was always a very clear mutual feeling. Mm. Um, Whereas I guess when it's a one-way unrequited love, it's more difficult to have scenes where the character can express those those feelings without you know um orchestrating a situation in which they are separate from the doctor and having a conversation with a side character yeah um talking of side characters terrible transition my favorite dalek dalek sec is back for what at the time was his oh, last yeah. appearance um the court of scara that's a really cool little niche group of daleks i wish that that had been a, a more longer running thing because I do think it is more menacing having four or five evil Daleks rather than billions. Do we? Because I, I actually have a question about this um, because I don't know if this was something that was explained in the episode and I just missed it. How do the Daleks travel through time? How did um, Scaro get to 1930s New York? Um. I don't know, it might have been said. Like I said, it was a while ago when I watched it. I did listen to the audio commentary recently, but um, literally tonight. But I honestly do not know. I don't think it's explained. Um, as you know, it is explained. I know they explain it. I can't remember how. I'm going to say yeah. they got on a time-travelling bus and they all bought individual tickets. And they sat at the back throwing paper aeroplanes and talking to the driver, they were stepping over that yellow line. That's a big no-go. And, um, you know, they eventually got to where they needed to be. I'd quite like a big finish series of the Colton Scarrow's um, time-travelling bus tour. <laughs> uh, talking of big finish, I did write down I would maybe quite like to see a big finish, or listen to even, a big finish Hooverville series. Oh, Hooverville. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you always get like little legends of stuff living in the sewers of New York, like mole Mm. people and things like that. And I think maybe just have a few pig slaves that have survived or something. And then you could bring back Laszlo and Miranda as uh, Tallulah. You can't bring back Solomon, he's dead. You can't bring back Andrew Garfield because he's too expensive. But do you know what I mean? You uh, You could really have some fun with that, I think. Yeah, I reckon, yeah. Tula and Laszlo, they're a, they're a good couple. It'd be fun to see if they actually do work it out. And they're standing and back to back and go she's on. got a gun and he's got uh, like a, a, a string of sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Woof, a bit close to home to him. Um, this episode is really well directed, I think. There's a lot of different sets and a lot of different layers of the Empire State Building that they go to. But one thing that I really, really liked in the episode was the scale and the the layering and the matte painting that goes on. So you have a Dalek standing on the edge of a fake Empire State Building. And then within that, you then have actual footage of New York from 2006 that they shot. And then they have removed modern elements and painted back onto that footage um, elements of the time of the setting. And I think it's really, really well done. Did they actually film in New York? Because I assumed that all that they filmed in the UK and all the New yeah. York stuff was post. They spent three right? days in New York, and none of the crew, none of the cast went. Just the crew went to get shots of skylines and stuff like that. Right, interesting. Because yeah. I was going to ask, because 
that surprises me because the thing that kind of I kept thinking of watching this episode was that obviously when we get to series 7A, they actually yeah. were able to go to New York with the cast and film properly. And the way you've talked about it just then, I always get the impression that maybe you prefer this kind of more creative solution to them actually shooting on location. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, when we get to series seven, it'll be interesting to see how I feel about that. But I do like... Okay, so this from memory, I remember series seven sort of being set in New York for the sake of it being set in New York. It was like, oh, well, we can afford to go there and they're going to let us go, so we will go there and we'll put the Doctor in Central Park and it'll be cool and it'll look good. Because look, it's a Doctor and he's running around in Central Park. Whereas this one, it just so happens that the story the story is set in New York, but New York isn't so much a character. You know, it's not a gimmick. It serves a purpose. And it's like... So I feel like you're not blindsided by it. Are you suggesting that the Statue of Liberty being a weeping angel isn't justification enough to film in New York? We'll have to wait and see. But I do, I've always preferred the more uh, indie homemade style of Dot 2, where it's like, this was actually shot in Cardiff and this is how we did it, rather than, look, it's Matt Smith mm-hmm. sat on a rock in Times Square for no, uh, in, in Central Park for no reason. That said, yeah, Central I know Park what you mean. It's lovely. kind of, yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It kind of feels less like, blockbuster ambitions are more kind of reminiscent of kind of that classic who um way of working with things yeah uh, the ending of this episode in which we get our look at the human dalek that's an amazing prosthetic isn't it that looks creepy and horrible and it squidgy i want to poke it yeah the prosthetics in doctor who especially Stuff like kind of the squidgy, fleshy things, stuff like the Jadoon, the Daleks, and now this human Dalek. They always look so good and they still hold up really well. Yeah. And that is like, I mean, I remember when I saw that for the first time as a kid, I was like, I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm. I was like, I remember thinking like, ugh, like being <laughs> just a bit repulsed by it because it is just like this creepy it's like oh no go, go back inside the shell the shell is like cool oh i remember having one of the voice changing helmets and i think i've still got it and i remember wearing it once and my uncle came around and he was like you've got to take that off it's disgusting and my uncle was, like, was a human a dalek dude. i remember that there was actually a human dalek sec thing wasn't there yeah yeah i've probably got like it i have to dig it out yeah it was great um, I'm going to be honest, I've kind of run out of notes. I have one more note, because normally what we would do is we would go, okay, now we're doing episode one, then we're going to do episode two. But because these episodes are kind of quite similar, we've kind of just blended it all together. So was there anything from um, Evolution of the Daleks that stood out to you? Um, I kind of wish... Did all of the human Daleks die at the end? Um, sort of, yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity. They could have really done some, you know, expansive, you know, big, big finish. Maybe uh, I've, <laughs> I feel like if I had a, a pound that every time we mentioned something being a potential big finish spin off in this podcast, but that's the way Doctor Who is like, there's so many opportunities to kind of expand this world beyond what we follow. Yeah, and I part of me wonders. They, you know, they could have let one of those human Dalek Time Lord hybrid things go. Could have yeah, uh, wow. let that be something like this in the background. Yeah. One issue that I have with these um, episodes is that, and I really noticed it in Evolution of Daleks, is norm- there is a lot of standing and talking rather than running and shouting. There's a lot of, I'm going to stand here and explain this in a conversation to you what is happening now. So the Doctor and Martha will have a, like a, a minute conversation where they stand and talk. The Doctor and Solomon, the Doctor and Andrew Garfield, and so on and so on. And there's a lot of sitting around and talking and talking about what's going on. Whereas what would be better is that happening on the way to a loca- an, another location within the episode. Like running down corridors, telling each other, explaining stuff in the heat of the moment rather than 
okay, now we're going to sit down and we're going to listen to Solomon's story, then we're going to listen to Tallulah's story, and then we're going to find out a bit more about Laszlo through this. You know what I mean? And it really became mm. evident in Evolution of Daleks where um, the Doctor's talking to the human Dalek, and they just both just stood there for like two minutes, just chatting away. I was thinking, oh, you could have done something a bit more interesting with this. Well, I don't know. How much can you do with those Daleks? Like, you can't exactly... I mean, I guess you could orchestrate some kind of Dalek chase sequence, but it's quite hard to do with that animatronic. Yeah, I guess so in that sense. But that, sh- that could stay standing. But I feel like you get bored of it by that point because the rest of the conversations in the episode have been stood still standing. The only time I think anything really happens while they're moving is when they're in the underground sewers. Hmm. And when they're flying. When they're flying. Oh yeah, but then but then again yeah. the doctors just stood there and the Daleks are flying, but they're stand they're flying in one spot. It's not like they're whizzing around the New York skyline or you know, doing donuts around the Statue of Liberty or anything like that. That I don't even know if it was built back then. Yeah, it was, of course it was. They landed at it. It was. But yeah. do you know what I mean? It's like they have this really cool opportunity to explore such an iconic location and they don't really seem to utilize it that much. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, maybe that's uh, again a budgetary thing that they, you know, they were only able to do a couple of kind of key locations, such as the Empire State Building and Hooverville, and they wanted to instead kind of really hone on those. And perhaps because they wanted to really hone in on get those detailed sets, they weren't as expansive, and so you couldn't have that same mm. kind of uh, really moving about kind of a thing yeah perhaps yeah um anything that we haven't spoken about harry that you would like to talk about i'm just gonna have a minute to think um <laughs> harry honestly chair um, and he ponders <laughs> honestly um it's been a good few days maybe upwards of a week since i watched this because I thought we were going to record it sooner than we ended up recording it. That's true. That's true. We had a um, few interviews so kind of, to record. I, we did. Those are those are going to be good. I mean, it's, but, it's already known. Johnny Morris, that's out tomorrow. The Doctor Who writer for the Doctor Who TV movie. We talk about everything. That's out tomorrow, the day after the Miranda Ray. you say tomorrow as in... The day oh, after okay, this. that kind of tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Not as in the tomorrow in which we're talking right now, the tomorrow no, no. of the tomorrow of the future. God, all this timey-wimey stuff to keep track of. Um, uh, there was a lot to keep track of, Harold, and I hope you managed to keep track of a lot of stuff, because right now, Harry, it's time for the quiz! You, you, not me, I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get a minus point. Well, I don't have any questions for Evolution of the Dalek. I only have three questions, and they're all from um, Daleks in Manhattan. Okay, so question one. If I get one. any of these right, it's nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> question one. What flower does Lazla leave for Tallulah at the start of the episode? Can you remember the colour? Harry is thinking. He's scratching his face. I'm Petunias? It's a red rose. Uh, a white rose. Oh. It's white. I think it's a rose. No, it's not a rose. I don't know. I said. I'll give you a point because neither of us are completely sure about that one. Uh, when Lasla goes looking for the pig at the start of the episode, he lights a match and he turns around and he's face to face with what? Is it not just a pig slave? No, I'm afraid not. It's a pirate, a statue of a pirate. When the Doctor enters Hooverville, he witnesses an altercation and a fight is breaking out. What is the fight breaking out over? It's a food stuff. What is the food stuff? God. Uh, that threw me weird. off because I've. Or something to do with rent money. Um, <laughs> really easy. Uh, was it? Was it like wheat or something? It, or was, bread? Bread. Was it oh, bread. Oh, yeah. Go on. I'll give you that. 
extra point if you can identify the type of bread. type of bread. It's like sourdough or something? No, it's French bread I'm afraid, Harry. So two points there. Two out of three. Not too bad. Not too that, bad. That was very generous. That was a very <laughs> generous term. I feel like I had to sort of let you have that a bit because let's be honest this has been a pretty poor episode. Uh, but, so I, 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 as a, I'd like to counter that. I like to, I'd say that because of the uh, distance between the watching and the talking, I was able to distill the key points in which I want to discuss, therefore resulting in a perhaps less comprehensive but more punchy and to the point discussion of the episode. Does this sound like bullshit, Tim? Do you think this is bullshit? Uh, it's bullshit, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to agree with that bullshit because I'm in exactly the same boat as you, except that I watched it a couple of months back, <laughs> and I knew it was coming up. And I should have watched it sooner. And I knew we were recording today. We were meant to record at eight. And then at half past seven, I went, oh, balls. I still haven't watched the episodes. So I'm going to have to watch the episodes with the audio commentary. So all the all the stuff I know about these episodes are just random behind the scenes facts that don't help at all. But enough of that. We apolog- Look, you've got to listen to the interview with Miranda because we talk a lot about... Um, these two episodes and how fondly she speaks of them is amazing. And her love for David and everybody involved in the cast and the crew. And she is super interested. And of course we talk about big finish at a time working with Colin Baker. And she talks a lot about that. And genuinely uh, one of my favorite guests that we've ever, uh, I've ever spoken to on the podcast. She was just utterly lovely and very charming. So definitely go check that out. Don't let our crass naff review um, and laziness alter um, it wasn't laziness it was bad scheduling poor scheduling we could have rewatched it though couldn't we uh, I have uni work or something <laughs> that's the best thing about being at uni is when you don't want to attend gatherings or a social event you just say you have uni work it's great uh, I've seen sorry, my family but the, the is, here's the problem all of my friends on are on the same course as me so i can't say like you know <laughs> oh guys i gotta work on this uh, uh dissertation how are you talking about we're acting we don't write dissertations ah but you guys the uh, uh guys the proposal how that took like two hours ah but um <laughs> ah, um harry no escape from being social do you have anything you would like to recommend? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Yes, I do. Go for it. Uh, last night, I watched The Godfather Part 1 and 2 for the first time. Hey, it's related. They're like, you know, in New York sometimes. Okay. Um, they are very good. For, I don't know if you've seen The Godfather movies. Yeah. But, that you know, they're, they're all right. They're all right. This, this Coppola guy... Um, he might be onto something. Um, <laughs> I don't. Also, watch Apocalypse Now. There's lots of films I haven't seen, but I feel like I have seen because I've watched the Simpsons episodes where they parody them a lot. So, like The Shining, it's, I knew the story of The Shining before I watched The Shining because I'd watched the Simpsons Halloween special where they have the shinging, the shinning. Yeah, but like the original film is always so much better, and it mm. makes those parodies so much. <laughs> like I. I I've, I've today watched like I think it was like a compilation of Simpsons scenes that parody The Godfather, and it was like if I hadn't seen The Godfather, I wouldn't have realised some of those scenes were even parodies. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Okay, I would like to recommend. Okay, so this by the time this goes out, this will be old news, but um, unfortunately today on the sixth of um, April, um, we found out that the amazing actor Paul Ritter had passed away, who I think a lot of people our age know best as Martin. Goodman from the Channel 4 comedy. One of my, literally one of my favourite sitcoms of all time, Friday Night Dinner. So my recommendation is going to be Friday Night Dinner, um, written by the amazing Robert Popper, who works on Peep Show, and he's just amazing. And I'm, I'm going to go back and watch it tonight, some of those episodes, because um, Paul Ritter is utterly amazing in it, and he's just so funny. And I, I, I really, really enjoy it, because over lockdown... Um, I went back home and I just lived with my mum for a year, which can be quite, you know, quite, it's not something I was particularly 
um, that looking forward to. <laughs> Not because it's quite an intense situation to be in. But we started watching Friday Night Dinner and I think it's one of the only programmes in a long time where we've both really, really enjoyed it. And when those new episodes were coming out at the start of the first lockdown, I want to say, um, we both would sit there on a Friday night and watch them on Channel 4. So I am recommending um, Friday Night Dinner, which I think is available on all four. Everything it should available. be, yeah. All four's, all four's great. Yeah, definitely. If, you, if you're in the UK, definitely check out all four. You literally make a free account. <clears throat> you can watch so much stuff on there that isn't, it's not always Channel 4 stuff as well. Mm, there's a lot of old swim stuff, I know, for one. Yeah, so definitely go definitely go check that out. Um, anything else, Harry? Anything else that we haven't mentioned that you feel that we should say? Uh, no, I feel like we've uh, we've uh, said what we have in us to say. <laughs> I'm very tired as well. I need some lunch. Uh, thank you very much for listening, guys, to this shorter episode. Maybe we did a longer news segment to comprehend to compensate for this uh, for this part, but we probably didn't. Um, so I will say goodbye, and now I will leave it up to Harry Murdoch to say goodbye. Also, over to you, Harry. Bye bye. Oh, oh, I didn't like that. I was going. I was going with something slightly New Yorkish because. I feel like I, I need to work on that one. How do New York people say bye? You've been to New York more than I have. So yeah, I went. No. I went to New York, and our, and, our, and our, one of my best friend, he got he got like uh, searched at the Statue of Liberty. Like he got like like gunpoint. It was horrible. But yeah, a lovely city. So uh, maybe I'll talk about that another time. Bye, everybody. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.